Good morning, everyone. It is great to have you with us once again this morning. We are going to be carrying on in our series from 1 Timothy, and we are in chapter 5 and verse 17. Good leadership, of course, is critically important in, in every organisation, and, and the church is, is no exception to this. And, and Paul, who has been tackling those who have been following wayward teaching, now speaks about the leaders themselves, both good and bad. I'm going to read from 1 Timothy, chapter 5, verses 17, and it says this. Elders who do their work well should be respected and paid well, especially those who work hard at both preaching and teaching. For the scripture says, they must not muzzle an ox to keep it from eating as it treads out the grain. And in other place, those who work deserve their pay. Do not listen to an accusation against an elder unless it is confirmed by two or three witnesses. Those who sin should be, should be reprimanded in front of the whole church. This will serve as a strong warning to others. I solemnly command you in the presence of God and Christ Jesus and the highest angels to obey these instructions without taking sides or showing favouritism to anyone. Never be in a hurry about appointing a church leader. Do not share in the sins of others. Keep yourself pure. Don't drink only water. You ought to drink a little wine for the sake of your stomach because you are sick so often. Remember, the sins of some people are obvious, leading them to certain judgment. But there are others whose sins will not be revealed until later. In the same way, the good deeds of some people are obvious. And the good deeds done in secret will someday come to light. Then into chapter 6, just the first two verses. All slaves should show full respect for their masters, so they will not bring shame on the name of God and his teaching. If the masters are believers, there is no excuse for being disrespectful. Those Slaves should work all the harder because their efforts are helping other believers who are well loved. Father, we just pray as we, we come to your word. Lord, as we, we just begin to discuss some of the issues raised in, in these verses, that you would lead us by your Holy Spirit. That you would speak to us. And Lord, we pray, Lord, over um, our leaders over those that we sit under, Lord God, that that we would show respect and honour. And Lord, we would live truly pure lives, holy lives before you. So Lord, we ask for your help now in Jesus' name. Amen. The information in this section of scripture deals primarily with elders and church leaders, but the principle applies to I guess to all our relationships with anyone in, in, in leadership. It therefore includes our bosses at work 
Which is why at the beginning of chapter 6, Paul speaks to those who are working for their masters. And, 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 and he, he puts this biblical principle in place that we need to be working hard. We need to be showing real respect for our employers. It's really important. It's important because it's a wonderful gospel witness. However, today I, I want to spend probably most of our time just exploring the situation that Timothy faces in those verses at the end of chapter 5. Timothy is having some problems with the elders in the church in Ephesus. and Now it's important to remember that Timothy is a relatively young man. He's, he's probably still got... A lot to learn and it's, it's, it's worth noting that Ephesus is, is not an easy place to minister so it's no surprise that Timothy is having a hard time and it would it would seem that he's under a fair bit of stress at the moment. I come to that conclusion because of Paul's instructions to take a little wine for the sake of his stomach and this is medical, it's, it's practical advice, it, it's, it's worth noting in passing that although the Bible does not demand abstinence from alcohol, it does denounce drunkenness. So though we cannot be exactly sure why Timothy needs this medical help, the, the obvious conclusion, at least I think it's obvious, is that, that he's either got some sort of dietary problems or, or stress-related tummy issues. Whatever the reason, Paul then goes on to give Timothy some great advice on how to deal with the situation that he, he's facing at that time. Timothy, I guess, now knows how tough gospel ministry actually is. He, he, he's been under a bit of pressure in this church environment and, and the truth is that sometimes gospel ministry can be time-consuming, it can be thankless, a, a church leader can can stretch themselves very thinly only to find that they are let down or even torn to shreds by those that they love and serve. And Paul addresses a number of leadership issues in these verses. He, he highlights the need to encourage elders and church leaders in their work. And yet on the other hand, he, he emphasises the need to protect the church from elders and church leaders who are living in a way that brings dishonour to God and the church. But, but, but before I come to some of the more practical advice, I want to just establish one very important biblical principle in leadership. And it's this, the headship of Jesus. In Colossians chapter 1 verse 18, Jesus is the head of the church. This truth is, is so obvious that it, well, it can easily be glossed over and we can even lose the impact and the importance of it. But the implication of this sets the entire tone for biblical leadership. And we, we need to keep asking ourselves, is Jesus really the head of our church? Is he really in charge? Is he the one that we, we look to? Is the one that we're building around? Is Jesus head over our lives and over our church? And the key, it, it must begin there. So, so before we even begin to think about leaders or elders, the, the, the principle must be placed at this very foundation in all of our teaching on leadership. And that, that principle is the Lordship of Jesus Christ. He's Lord over all. 
he is the one who is in charge. And elders are simply under shepherds of Jesus. And as such, they must imitate his style of servant leadership. If not, they, they actually risk, at least there can be a risk that they begin to lord over people. And But actually, for the elder, for the, the church leader to know that their boss is Jesus Christ, it, it should be wonderfully reassuring for them. And Jesus is not only head over the church, but Ephesians chapter 122 tells us that God placed all, all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church. And we have an incredible boss. An incredible boss. The one who is Lord over all. That's my introduction. That's the foundation I want to build everything I, I say on. So let's get into the passage. So we're in verse 17 and in, well, verse 17 through to 25. And, and, and in here, Paul mentions three areas that relate to elders. Pay, discipline and the appointment of elders. It would seem that the early church had a team of elders who ministered together to the people. There's multiple elders, that this plurality of eldership, that seems to be the norm. And... And some of them worked full time for the Lord, while others like Paul worked other jobs to support themselves alongside their church ministry. And Paul's point was that those who are working full time for the church deserve to be paid for their work. He uses two quotations to, to support his argument, one from the Old Testament, the other from the New Testament. And, and this encouragement comes in two forms, respect and reward. An elder who works hard deserves to be rewarded. It's an acknowledgement of the witty responsibility that results from overseeing and admonishing the people of God. And listen, don't forget that the elder will have to give an account to God for how they lead. And Paul says that we should be rewarded out of respect which flows from a heartfelt love. Dave Holden writes that the local church needs to honour and pray for their leaders. He says, he says make, make their work a joy. Happy leaders make happy followers. Which is why in verse 17, Paul highlights the importance of treating church leaders well. The phrase that he uses, that's used in most translation, is translated as they, they are worthy of double honour. Elders, like everyone else, need appreciation, they need support, they need encouragement. But Paul is also suggesting that they should be well rewarded financially. So perhaps a good summary on of Paul's teaching on money should go something like this. To the leaders, he explains that while they do actually have rights, which include being, being paid for their work, it's not something that they should fight for. They are worthy of their wages, but should at all times maintain a servant attitude and learn the secret of contentment. So whether the elder is paid or not by the church, he should not be greedy and should follow the advice of Hebrews chapter 13 verse 5. Keep your lives free. 
Keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have because God has said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. So we say with confidence, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can man do to me? God is our source. But to those who look after the leaders, who are responsible for looking after the leaders, Paul exhorts them not to muzzle the ox, but instead to think of them in terms of double honour. So Paul bluntly tells Timothy to make sure that leaders are paid appropriately on the basis of their ministry. And it's always been God's plan that the needs of his servants should be met by the local church. And, and he will bless churches that are faithful to his servants. However, let's not forget that there's another side to this, that a pastor does not minister simply out of a desire to earn money or to look for a bigger salary. So please hear what I'm saying here, and I hope you hear it clearly. I'm not sharing these thoughts from Scripture to try and ask for money for myself. That is not my heart, it's not my intention or my desire. However, I do believe that as a church, we should get to a stage in our giving when we are able to pay and support a full-time church pastor. My challenge is this this morning. Are you giving to the work of God in your church? Are you consistently praying and encouraging leaders in your church? And are you telling them? They need words of encouragement just like everybody else does. And I know there's sometimes there's this little theory floats around. We don't want to over-encourage people or particularly over-encourage our, our leaders or pastors too much because it might give them a big head or make them feel proud. But listen, the most I've spoken to many leaders down through the years and and pride is not normally the biggest problem they have. Most of them feel very insecure. Most of them feel they're not doing the job very well. Encourage your leaders. Paul then moves on from that. And having spoken about, spoken about encouraging and supporting good elders, Paul now deals with the ones who may not be doing quite so well. And his conclusion is that serious moral sin of a church leader or elder should be held to account. There there are calls for high standards of purity, of integrity, of honesty in leadership. And, and there are two, ex I guess, two extremes when it comes to church discipline. Either there is no discipline at all, anything goes, and, and the church just, well, it becomes disobedient and, and sinful. Or we see ourselves as evangelical policemen. We hold kangaroo courts. We, we violate many biblical principles in the process. We need to remember the purpose of discipline, and discipline is important, but the purpose is always restoration. It's not revenge. Our attitude must be one of love and tenderness. So Paul first caution to Timothy is to make sure that he's got all the facts. And the only safe way to know that you've got the facts right is to make sure you have reliable witnesses and that needs to be more than one. 
And the principle that we've seen many times in other parts of scripture. So we read similar things in Deuteronomy 19 verse 15, Matthew 18 verse 16, 2 Corinthians 13 verse 1. In other words, rumours and suspicions are just not adequate grounds for discipline. Accusations against a pastor must be supported by witnesses. Secondly, when an accusation is brought, the witness ought to be present. The person being accused has the right to face his accuser in the presence of witnesses. So the saying that there's no smoke without fire is maybe a good slogan for the fire department, (laughs) but it doesn't really apply to the local church. Paul goes on, his third caution was that Timothy should do everything openly and above board. Cover-ups and hidden agendas have got no place within the church. So, So Paul says that Discipline should be made public in the case of leaders who sin and and they should face up to the consequences of their sin. However, there should always be an opportunity for repentance. And when there is genuine repentance, there should be forgiveness. And forgiveness means that it means that the matter is settled and that it should never be brought up again. Then fourthly, Paul cautions Timothy to follow God's word, no matter, no matter what his personal feelings might be. Now, we need, we need to be able to act without prejudice or partiality. So there's no seniority rights in the, in the local church. Each member has to stand before God, has to stand before his words. So let's make sure that all that we do is biblical that we act the same way every time according to God's word. And it doesn't matter whether we really like someone or whether we dislike someone. We need to act by biblical principles. Paul then moves on to instructions, this idea of selecting, of appointing elders. Only God really knows anyone's heart. Let's be honest. How well can we really know somebody else? And that's why we need real spiritual wisdom and and guidance in in selecting elders. Impulsive decisions are dangerous in any setting. So so Paul's point is that it it just be impulsive and actually dangerous to place a new Christian or a new church member into a place of spiritual responsibility too quickly. It's also right to be careful. We need to investigate the lives of potential leaders to make sure that there's nothing seriously wrong. To appoint an elder with serious sin in their lives is both damaging for the church and actually for the person being appointed. Now, of course, we know that no pastor, no church leader, no church member even is perfect. But that should never become an excuse for any of us to stop pursuing godliness and holiness within our lives. The truth is that the ministry and the witness of the church rises and falls on its leadership. Godly leadership means God's blessing and, and, that, and that is what we want, that's what we need. So let's get practical. How do we go about appointing elders? Well, the appointment of elders seems to involve 
the following four groups of people or four people. The first is this. It is God. Listen, God must come first. That's where we began, was it not at the very beginning? God must come first. He is head over all. He is the Lord over all. And listen, when it comes to the pointing of anyone into leadership within church, we need to be hearing from God. In Acts chapter 20, verse 28, Paul reminds the elders in Miletus that it was the Holy Spirit who had made them overseers. In fact, in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11, he tells us it that all pastors and teachers have been given to the church by Christ. Terry Virgo writes, Throughout the Old Testament, God chose who would lead his people. The same principle applies in the New Testament church. Jesus, our ascended Christ, gives gifts. Terry goes on, We cannot make people into leaders. We cannot simply vote them into office. We can observe and note the grace of God on people. We can see the anointing and respect the gift of God. The church that honours God's gifts honours God and experiences God's ongoing favour. Simply this, we need to be hearing from God. Who are, who's God want to appoint? Those are the questions that we should be asking. That is where we must begin. Then alongside that, we, we need the voice of the Apostle as well. We need their wisdom. The Apostles Paul and Barnabas, on their first apostolic trip, appointed elders in every church. Read about it in Acts chapter 14, verse 23. And it's fair to assume that the Jerusalem apostles did the same thing in, the region, in, in their region of churches. Acts chapter 11, verse 30. In Titus 1 verse 5, Paul commissions Titus to appoint elders in every town in Crete. And as you know, we we are not alone here in Chester. We we are part of the the Christ Central group of churches. We're part of the New New Frontiers family of churches. We, We work closely with our apostolic team and we have for some time, we've been discussing the appointment of elders here in Chester. We we just rely on their wisdom and their prophetic input into our church. So we've got God, the source of all wisdom. We need the input of the apostolic team. Thirdly, elders, other elders are involved in the appointment of elders. Timothy probably became an elder when the company of elders laid hands upon him in first timothy chapter 4 and verse 14 and it's sort of common sense to say that fellow elders play a key role in appointing and in accepting someone into the new team into creating a team and i guess as church planter here in chester that to some extent falls upon me and then the fourth group of people is the local church and due to the Due to the emphasis of an elder having to have a good reputation and respect, clearly the local church needs to approve the appointment of their elders. Now there's no real rigid process for this appointment, but within New Frontiers there is an approach. It's one that we will follow and we will do it in conjunction with 
the apostolic team. In fact, all four groups that I've already mentioned should be involved. We need to be hearing from God. We need the input of the apostolic team. We need we need people around us to be able to speak. And we need, obviously, the confirmation from the local believers here. And, and what usually happens is that the local elders will choose and then the apostles will confirm. Of course, any potential elder should fulfill the requirements that are described in First Timothy chapter 3. Now, if you, if you haven't listened to the podcast on this, go back and have a listen to it. Rob did a great job just, um, just explaining that. And, and actually, it's super challenging for anyone in leadership, but particularly anyone stepping into eldership. But in short, it focuses on character, on gifting, on the love of Jesus. The, the person should have a, have a humble spirit and a servant heart and, and obviously the gift of leadership. And it's critically important that a potential elder has the personality and the people skills to get on well with other elders, with people within the church, and of course even people outside of the church. Bill Heibel succinctly sums this up as character, charisma and chemistry. And for this reason, 1 Timothy 5 verse 22 says, do not be hasty in the laying on of hands, or as the King James Version puts it, lay hands suddenly on no man. <laughs> now to the casual reader, it, it sounds it sounds that like Paul is, is referring to a good slapping. Now, maybe, maybe we need it. He is, of course, talking about the prayerful appointing and anointing of elders by the apostolic team. In a COVID-free world, which sadly we don't have at the moment, it involves hands being laid on the shoulder, on the, the head. And it's, both, it's both symbolic, but also it's a spiritual act of impartation. But the thing that we must remember is this, that laying on hands is easy. Laying off hands is traumatic. And while the ultimate guarantee of any elder finishing strong is his own walk with God, appointing elders is, is not an exercise of guesswork. It's, it's, it's not a lottery. Jesus tells us that the way to remove much of the risk factor is to have a proven track record. The writer to Hebrews says that we should consider the outcome of a leader's way of life. And the outcome that he is referring to is their proven track record. How has their life turned out over a meaningful length of time? What are the fruits? Are there fruits? So don't rush it. Just don't rush it. It's actually better to watch for another six months than to make a hasty decision. Let the potential elder keep on doing the job before publicly setting him up to do the job that he's actually been doing already. I know it, it, it can lead to some frustration because they're doing the job with, with, without, I guess, the increased authority and gifting that comes from the laying on of hands, but it's, it's an important part of testing and proving. See, it's much better to wait and have, and have no one than to have the wrong person in place. And once the apostles and elders are satisfied that the person is ready, not perfect, just ready, not looking for perfection, 
we're all on a journey here. But we need to make some checks as well. But once they're ready, they will need to inform the, the local body of believers of their intention to make this man an elder in the near future. And hopefully there will be an instant murmur of approval, but a week or two, maybe longer, should be given to allow people to raise any concerns, any objections. And during those weeks leading up to his appointment, all concerns should be considered with, well, with dedicated prayer and fasting, which is the biblical pattern for those massive decisions, those massive leadership appointments. And assuming that there is a satisfactory sense of approval from the body, then elders are appointed in the local church. Hands are laid upon them and they are prayed for and time is given for prophetic words. Again, once again, we want to be hearing from God at every single stage of this. We need to hear God's first. The Holy Spirit needs to be speaking, needs to be directing, needs to be leading and guiding. Today I want to ask for your prayers. I want you to pray for all the leaders here at Freedom. And there are many people functioning in many different leadership roles right across. We've got some great men and women who, who serve so faithfully every single week and, and lead the people so well. Pray that they would walk in holiness before God, that they would walk in the fear of God but especially I want you to pray for wisdom as we consider the right time to appoint elders here in Chester. And actually, who is ready to be appointed? We need to hear from God. We want to hear clearly from God. We want to walk in step with the Holy Spirit every moment, every step of the way. So be praying, be encouraging, honour one another. Let's just pray for a moment. Father, thank you for your time with us this morning. Lord, we want to pray as we have discussed some very practical stuff here. Father, pray would be helpful. I pray, Lord, for those that are leading in, as we say, in many different areas, many different levels. Lord God, we pray, Father, your hand upon them. We pray your provision over them. Lord, we thank you for them. Lord, we want to honour them. We want to say, Lord God, thank you for those that serve so faithfully, many without any sense of reward, some without even being noticed at times. Lord, for the many things that are done that nobody sees, Lord, we thank you. We thank you for people's faithfulness. And Lord Father, we pray blessing upon them now. We pray, God, that you would minister to them. We pray, Father, for your presence. And Lord, we pray that we would walk faithfully before you. We'd finish well. We'd keep going to the end. That we would honour you in all that we do. And Lord, we need your help in this. So fill us, Holy Spirit, afresh today. In Jesus' name. Amen.